not everything is urgent. That is a reminder. I actually wrote that down on a piece of paper one day and just like stapled it to my my desk over here. Um, because I think you can really get run over if all you're trying to do is triage. And while there will always be things that are super urgent that need to be done, if it's for one person or one specific instance, well, to me, most times it can wait at least a little bit while you're working on other stuff. Welcome to RevOps Rockstars in Pursuit of Unicorns. I'm David Carnes. And I'm Jaren Chu. Join us as we interview RevOps leaders to explore the challenges they have faced, the biggest lessons they've learned, and what they think makes a RevOps rockstar. This show is brought to you by OpFocus on a mission to help companies run their businesses better by letting you focus on growth while we scale your operations. Let's get this show on the road. Today's guest on the podcast is someone who enjoys scaling teams and organizations to make them more efficient and productive, a proven relationship builder and an established leader, someone who knows how to use data to drive decision-making processes. VP of Revenue Operations at Muckrack, Tyler Uteg. Welcome, Tyler, to the podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. So, Tyler, we like to start off perhaps... Uh, you know, asking something a little, you know, maybe uh, controversial or on the edge. Uh, we're very interested in something that you had to learn in RevOps the hard way. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate the question. I think uh, for me, the hardest thing, just given the fact that revenue operations as a function is still pretty new, is that there's really no playbook, blueprint, architecture for it as a model. I've seen it done where folks are kind of coming in and just saying it's a technical admin or Salesforce admin. And from my point of view, it's really a strategic partner to the business. So I think the the hardest part for me coming into any business was just really understanding what the business needed out of the function and how to apply that in a way that worked for all involved. And how did you ramp up on understanding what the business needed out of the function? For sure. So I, uh, when I came to Muckrack, I put together like a 30, 60, 90 day plan. And as part of the first 30 days, for me, it was really about relationship building and figuring out who in the business I needed to partner with closely to uh, tackle objectives. And then also take a look at our technical ecosystem with an eye toward where we needed to either trim or adjust things for, uh, again, to hit our objectives. And I know the question was asking about something you had to learn the hard way. You're mentioning what you learned, which is, you know, that there isn't a playbook. You've got to figure it out with your collaborators. Explain to us how you learned that the hard way. Was there something where you were like, oh, all right, like that was a good reminder from the organization, not the right approach or um, something, some other example, uh, story experience you've had? Absolutely. I think the the reality of it is, uh, coming into the role, you really have to understand that not everything is urgent. It's one of my favorite phrases. And I think that is really what I had to learn coming into RevOps is you can just get thrown into it and really feel like every ask that you have needs to be addressed immediately while not having the proper time to think of the core objectives. So I think the hardest thing for me was learning to separate out 
what's truly urgent and needs to be uh, jumped on immediately and what can wait so that we can really focus on longer term, uh, I'll just say more important objectives. Yeah, we're definitely going to want to dive into that a little bit more when we talk about your team and your function. To start, let's kind of paint a picture for the audience here. Your company, Muckrack, I think you're close to 300 team members on LinkedIn. Uh, Back in September 2022, you raised your Series A for $180 Congratulations. That's a big deal. Um, What sized RevOps team are you working with and how many people are you trying to support? Yeah, great question. Uh, because as uh, you can imagine, it's all changed pretty rapidly. So I've been here for just under a year. Uh, when I first came into the organization, it was really two folks uh, who were primarily focused on you know being reactive to things that came up, really just trying to move things forward. Uh, over the course of the last year, I've scaled the team from two to 10 individuals, including myself, and they really cover the whole of our revenue team. So let's just call it about 100 people that the team is currently supporting from lead all the way through customer support. Um, my team is split up between uh, what I like to refer to as four pillars of RevOps. Um, it all starts with systems, and then it goes to process, enablement, and insights. There's a lot of different ways to think about it, as I said at the beginning, but that's how I've really been able to build out the team. I have folks who are focused on the systems aspect, whether that be our CRM or the broader systems, um, along with a team of people who are focused on process. I also oversee our deal desk. So I've got one person in that spot. And then I also oversee business operations. So I have a senior manager of business operations who's kind of the glue in the middle of what the revenue team is doing and what the business needs from a data perspective. So it's been a lot in a year. That is a lot. And did you also mention that um, when you first started, what was it, almost uh, a year ago, you you had only a couple of people on the team and, and now you're at um, 10 or even more, right, to support this 100 some folks across the business? Yeah, I'm at 10 and I think I scoped out about another six roles, I think, for the year. Um which you know might change based on growing business needs. But for me, I think at the end of the year, I'll probably end up around 16 people. I know for a lot of RevOps leaders out there, hiring can be a challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of folks figure out kind of the right sort of balance between roles you wish to have in-house versus roles you're okay with having outsourced developers or even consultants, um, advisors help with. How do you determine the right balance of in-house versus outsourced work? And how does that balance with your hiring plans? Yeah. I mean, maybe it's just me. Uh, The good news so far is that I've been able to justify needs for for my, my internal hires. So from an external perspective, um, I don't currently have a lot of external support. Um, I've been able to really build out a clear roles and responsibilities matrix, put together concise job descriptions, and get the organization to understand what each of these individuals is going to contribute to the business as we scale. And it's not that I'm against bringing in external consultants or external partners. I think there's a place for that, depending on what you're trying to achieve. But at the end of the day, if I can bring in someone who can specialize in, say, deal desk and really understand the business, understand understand our contract process and own that from start to finish and adjust in real time, 
it's always going to be more beneficial for us at the end of the day. And truthfully, I think consultants and external partners can leave or their business model changes. And I want to make sure that we have people who are dedicated to the mission of Muckrack and ensuring that they're going to be here with us or that, you know, if someone does unfortunately leave, we have a clear transition plan for how we're going to bring somebody else into the model. I think it's rare for me to hear um, RevOps functions internally have a clearly defined roles and responsibilities matrix. I feel like for a lot of RevOps leaders, they're kind of thrown into the mix when the company is growing at this really breakneck trajectory. Can you even keep up with the requests that are coming in? You know, everyone's kind of just hopping on and doing what they can. But what you're talking about here, Tyler, is really actually thinking more long term. Um, building a foundation of different kinds of roles you'd need to fill um, and and potentially how those roles can probably advance uh, in the organization, right? Yep. I I am all about the long game. Uh, I I think the reality is there's always stuff that we're going to have to jump on day to day. And and truthfully, I've got a subset of the team who is focused on the truly reactive things that come from all facets of the organization. I also have built out a roadmap in partnership with my team of what I refer to as more strategic objectives and things that we're trying to bring to the organization as we scale. So I think for me, it's a little bit about some of my background in project management and me really wanting to think about where we need to go from here while also having to react to the things that just come up. I don't have it all figured out, but I'm like, I feel like I'm in a good spot. Well, Tyler, it sounds great. It sounds very grown up to be building out your team now with the needs of the team when you're twice the size. Probably uh, a lot of RevOps leaders, just given the pace, the work are almost a step behind and hiring for the needs as they were three or six months ago. Once they get a rec uh, opened up, get you know budget approved and all that, uh, they're almost uh, throwing, uh, you know, to use a Super Bowl football uh uh, metaphor, you know, throwing the ball behind the receiver or even at the receiver, but the receiver's moving along. So um, I think that sounds great. Yeah, I, I would say it's a, uh, I'm very fortunate to be at an organization that prides itself on scaling sustainably and listening to the leadership when it comes to what we need to not just do our jobs, but also what we need to help the business get to where it wants to be. It's very important. I I want to dive in a little bit deeper about how you do that, Tyler. Before though, um, you mentioned you've got something like six more headcount to fill. Um, for the listeners who are uh, tuning into the podcast, a lot of them are probably looking for new opportunities. I know we've had uh, we've seen a lot of changes in the market recently. Um, would you like to mention any of the open uh, roles that you're trying to fill in the next uh, number of months? Yeah, sure. So so current state, they're not open yet, but they're in the hopper. So we kind of pace it quarter over quarter uh, out of uh, a lot of love for our people ops team, because I'm certainly not the only person who needs things. If folks are interested in Muckrack, uh, check us out on LinkedIn, check out our website, connect with me. I'm always open to DMs as much as I can stay on top of them. And I would be happy to chat about any current or potential roles. Awesome. And we'll definitely cover um, some of those websites and links uh, at the end of the podcast and include them in the show notes as well. 
So let's narrow down the focus. You mentioned you are all about kind of thinking longer term, bigger picture. Uh, I think for a lot of folks, that's an ideal state they'd like to get to uh, and not being so reactive. As a VP of RevOps at Muckrack, what does your day-to-day typically entail? So that's one of my favorite questions. Uh, simply because it's why I got into RevOps or operations in general. Um, There's some consistency to my day, like one-on-ones or or strategic leadership meetings. But the reality is the rest of my day is spent uh, helping the team prioritize, jumping on uh, various fires that emerge in the tech stack or urgent requests around, around reporting or hovering for people who might be out of office. I... I kind of think the best answer for this is just thinking about what I did yesterday, because the reality is that it changes every single day. So just as a, a, a general perspective on a day in the life, um, yesterday, I think I started my day off uh, with a sync around commission strategy. And so we were talking about challenges and opportunities to streamline that. I had a discussion with uh, Deal Desk around updating internal policies and aligning the teams around some contract changes. Um, we launched new dashboards for sales managers and ICs just to get more visibility into the day-to-day. Um, we actually launched some new named accounts for some of our account executives to chase. Uh, I had a discussion with HR around ops career pathing, and then I really started honing this roles and responsibilities matrix because it is an ongoing evolution as we bring new people onto the team. I would say about half of that was planned and the other half just kind of happened. And that is basically operations in a nutshell. You have a plan and then things occur and you really have to pivot from what you plan to do and just accept the fact that it's going to change in real time. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of folks... uh who have spent their career kind of shaping project plans or or any kind of execution plan will empathize with what you just said. Um, it only lasts as well as, you know, the moment you encounter uh, the reality of the execution. So given, given that dynamic kind of um, reality of your role, I'm interested then how do you measure success yourself in yep. this role? And then how do you also measure success of your team if those demands keep shifting, right? How frequently do you define a KPI or redefine a KPI in which you want the team to live by? Sure. So I'll, I'll kind of start at the top. I think the reality is we use an OKR framework as an organization. So we have uh, organizational OKRs that the leadership team scopes at the start of each quarter. Um, my departmental OKRs and then, you know, the projects and the deliverables really fall out of those uh, organizational OKRs or align with the the core of them all. So from a measurement perspective, I really focus on alignment and effective delivery and execution. Um, the core of that for me is really aligning with my team on the vision, the strategy, Uh, What are we going to deliver? Are we all on the same page? Um, What's important in the immediate and longer term because they both matter? Um, And then leadership alignment, Uh, specifically sales, CS, and marketing. 
Um, every quarter, we align with them on our departmental OKRs to make sure that we're planning for delivering on the things that matter to them most and help us push for efficiency and impact as we scale. The third part of that is really just feedback from sales reps and uh, CSMs. Are the efficiency improvements that we believe we're putting in place being adopted? Are we seeing effective returns on those? Um, it really just helps us to further understand if there are gaps in resources, technology, or knowledge. And it's my work to collaboratively, uh, or it's my job, excuse me, it's my job to work collaboratively to figure out how to close those gaps. Yeah, so I think high delivery. What you're what you're talking about is so awesome because it's directly related to and bring it back to the success of those specific teams, right? And I think that a, a lot of uh, ops leaders in general, it's easy for them to get relegated and seen as a call center, right? Like, in, unless we're able to tie it directly to that end user experience that immediate impact to things like retention rate or um, you know, the speed of sales rep onboarding or say the size of a deal, it's so easy for it to be seen as, oh, well, you're just spending money, right? You're just maintaining and managing rather than we're actually helping the business be more efficient, be more profitable, be better at what we're trying to do. Yep. Efficiency and simplicity would just generally be my brand and consistency. Uh, I believe it's important to have a consistent approach that is as simple as possible, that makes everyone's jobs easier while driving ROI for individuals as well as the business. And, and it's not like that's the simplest thing in the world, obviously, which is why RevOps exists as a function. I can't actually imagine a business this day and age, especially a SaaS business that is scaling rapidly operating without some sort of centralized operational core. I just can't. When I put together the roles and responsibilities matrix for my team and I start to really see the number of things that they're doing across process and systems and enablement and insight, it actually surprises me because I'm growing the team in real time. And the reason that we've had to put this together is just say, let's remember what we're all doing so that we can understand if it's being owned by the right person. So that uh, framework that you've described, I really like it. I think the responsibilities are clear across the uh, systems, processes, enablement, and insights. I'm curious how the work that you and your team are doing translates to cross-functional corporate-level initiatives that you're taking on. To me, cross-functional corporate initiatives are one of the cores of RevOps. Like, one of the things that's fascinating to me, just to take it back for a second, is when I see a lot of folks talk about RevOps, they're always focused on technical infrastructure and adjusting things in your CRM or integrating with new systems. For me, corporate initiatives is, is so important because everything we do is cross-functional and requires tight partnership with so many different people. Um, and as an example, about let's see, six months ago, we really determined as a business that we wanted to better understand our churn, right? It's important for any SaaS business to understand why my customers be leaving? What can we figure out about this? Uh, RevOps really led the effort to partnering with product, to partnering with CS, to put together a new model and framework for how we understand that, flagging product issues, flagging uh, a number of things 
and then talking about that monthly and using it to put back into the product or put back into the process so that we can really understand how to make changes effectively. And that's something that I see RevOps at the, the forefront of is taking a, a business issue and really working to find a solution and either leave that indefinitely or craft a solution to hand off to someone else to run it moving forward. Um, my team does that pretty much every single day and every single quarter in a, in a wide variety of ways. How exciting to take that specific example of churn and go through the motions of actually defining it in, in a consistent way across the business so that you can measure it going forward. I imagine there's a whole bunch of different areas within the business like that, that you could essentially lead, lead the drive. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's fairly uh, nonstop. I think uh, another really great example of that is, um, you know, we, we recently went through some review of our segmentation because a, 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 another important thing is making sure that we have the right revenue team members targeting the right accounts. And that from a support standpoint, we're ensuring that those customers get the right um, people on their teams to help them move their own objectives forward. So over the last probably three months, I led an effort to do some resegmentation, make sure that we're, we're tracking that accurately, make sure that we have the right team members on all of that work. And it was... Uh, met very positively by all of the revenue teams. And I think um, what I've seen in my time here is just having someone focus on an objective and bring the right people in for subject matter expertise is really refreshing to businesses that have grown without process. And it's something that folks are still getting used to, but it's something that will allow us to be that much more intelligent moving forward. Tyler, when you mentioned having the right revenue team members um, on the right accounts, so the customers can have the right people on their teams, are you referring to kind of the pre-sale process or are you referring to more the post-sale enablement, customer success, time to value sort of exercise? Great question. Uh, both. Because for me, I think that everything starts with sales, right? You, you've got to have the right people involved to uh, really value sell to the right customers. We don't ever want to sell customers something that they don't need. But what we do want to do is ensure that the customers are getting exactly what benefits their objectives. And we have various aspects of our product that serve customers in different ways. When we transition those customers over to the, uh, the CS side of the house, we want to make sure that they either have um, access to things that they can find themselves and kind of self-learn at certain levels. And then we also want to make sure that they have more of a bespoke experience uh, if they're kind of a, a higher tier customer. Because again, if you're if you're one PR person versus a, a PR team of 20, you're going to need different levels of support and a different understanding of how to utilize our product. Because what you're talking about is cross-functional by nature, and it sounds like the RevOps team with your leadership is really doing this proactively and, and analyzing, looking at opportunities for improvement. Can you describe a little bit, Tyler, what is your relationship and how do you bring this up with your peers You know, that are the sales leaders, the marketing leaders, the CS leaders, et cetera? How does that become kind of an agenda item for you? Who's setting the priorities and who's kind of determining um, kind of the lead in initiatives like this? 
Yeah, great, great question. Um, I will say it, it always goes back to the the top level of uh, a leadership OKRs, um, the VP of sales, the VP of CS, VP of marketing, and then obviously our, our, our C-suite leadership um, is all very much aligned to ensure that we're moving the right objectives forward. When we step down from that, I uh, have made it a, a very important part of all of the roles that I've been in in my career to s- start with relationships. If you don't have the relationships and the trust with the people that you work with day to day, it doesn't matter what you're working on. It's not going to go well. So I think I spent a lot of time in the, let's call it the first three to six months here, forging those relationships and ensuring that my peers understand that I'm here to support them, understand that I'm here to drive things forward with them and really tell them what I will need from them and let them tell me what they need from me. So I've got you know one-on-ones with each, with each of them individually. We have revenue management team meetings. We do offsites together. I feel a real sense of alignment because we're able to openly discuss with each other what we need. Um, I think, I think from the actual project perspective, through those conversations, it allows me to craft with my team what we believe the core projects are, and then align, like I said earlier, at the start of each quarter with those folks to say, hey, this is what we heard over the last quarter. Uh, is this in line with your expectations of what's needed as we're moving forward? Yes, no, or other. Let's reprioritize together and make sure that as we go into this quarter, we're all understanding what we're working on. There should be no surprises. Again, not always perfect. I'm not going to pretend that this is some perfect science, but the reality is I think uh, core alignment is the most important thing for any RevOps professional in any business. What I think I'm hearing you say is in addition to building that trust between uh, your roles and your relationships, it's also about having the cadences, those opportunities for a lot of this natural alignment, natural brainstorming to happen collaboratively, be that during an offsite or your revenue management meeting. And that way it never feels like, oh, hey, I identified this thing. You guys should adopt it. It's collectively, are we seeing this being a challenge? Are we seeing this being an opportunity? And do we want to adopt it together across multiple functions for the quarter to focus on? A hundred percent. And I'll also add that we are a, uh, we are a slack heavy business, which was a, an adjustment for me at first, but I will say that it really does allow for like quick hits, follow-ups. Hey, I just heard this. Do we need to pivot? And a lot of really good async work that doesn't force us all back into a meeting with 10 different people to figure out a solution. Um, I don't get a lot of emails. Uh, I get a lot of slacks, but most of those slacks are really focused on moving things forward in a uh, super collaborative way, which I have found to be uh, really helpful when we're moving through stuff so quickly. So given what you do and given what we do, it's inevitable that we're going to want to talk about tech the tech stack. Um, is there a tech stack tool that you could just not live without? Yeah, I mean, so so here's the deal. This is going to be very obvious, right? Like, I, you can't live without a CRM. And I'm I'm not going to get into a conversation about which one is better or which one you should you should choose because at the end of the day, the CRM just has to be structured to support your business 
I think there are certain ones that integrate better with other um, vendors and and allow for open APIs and, and better coding and, and better reporting. But without a CRM that you can effectively use, effectively train your team on, and really uh, utilize the driver of your your go to market motions, uh, you're starting from zero. Because I, listen, I love Gong. Uh, I, I love a lot of other tools that we utilize. But they don't work unless you have the nucleus. And so for me, live or die CRM, uh, like if you're working in spreadsheets or you're working in, I can't even process how you would operate without CRM. Yeah. And I think even at times we've elevated it to the level of there's, you know, three main pillars. There's the CRM, the financials, and then your SaaS platform itself. So of uh, up at that level. So uh, I think we we uh, definitely agree with you on that. So um, curious about reporting. So you mentioned the uh, uh, insights as being one of the the how one of the the teams uh, that that you're growing. Uh, where do you go to get an at a glance view of what's going on in the business? Yeah, so it uh, it depends on what I'm trying to to really move forward. I it it's been unique to me here in a very good way in that we have reporting in a couple of different places. And, and here's how we think about it. Um, we utilize uh, Snowflake and Tableau as kind of our uh, move towards business KPI reporting. So um, I have a senior manager of uh, data and business operations, and she's really focused on surfacing up uh, business KPIs that aggregate data from a bunch of different sources. And that comes out one end is saying, hey, here's what we're going to look at to run the day-to-day business. Here's our ARR, here's our NRR, all of the things that are important at a very high level. I have a very big opinion that when you step down from that, the reporting should come from the CRM itself. When you're talking about uh, individual individual revenue teams, uh, individual uh, contributors, and and things you really want to look at in a more granular sense, activities. Um, uh, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Uh, activities and um, uh, ACV and just some of the more granular data that you're actually using to measure performance management across the team. One of the things that my team has put into place over the course of the last two to three months is new sales and CS management dashboards, new uh, individual contributor dashboards so that the managers can look at, hey, how's my team performing? What can I see that will help me guide them? And the individual contributors can say, okay, I see that too. You might not need to talk about this with me next time because now I understand how to interpret the data. So there's two sides to this. There's the business and there's the day-to-day. And you're making that available directly within the CRM so that these... uh... Uh, managers and their staff, they can see that information right at their fingertips. They know it's being monitored and there's no uh, gap in any way of data being passed over maybe nightly or however often it's synced over to uh, Snowflake. So there's no potential gap. They're seeing the actual numbers. Correct. I am uh, big on data at the point of decision. And if there's a lot of moving pieces, I think that's just really going to overcomplicate um, I think some organizations might be saying, hey, we're going to run everything out of Tableau. Yeah, that might be fine. But to your point, if you're really moving stuff overnight, stinks and you're depending people to be reactive to stuff very quickly, 
it's just not going to work. Um, secondarily, trying to get uh, sales and CS teams to operate in one system can be challenging enough to have them leave that system to go get information that they really need to me is extremely cumbersome and unnecessary if you can make it work in the the place that they're operating every day. The single pane of view, I think that has been traditionally what's driven RevOps leaders, um, making sure there's minimal swivel chair for the end users, like you said, no need to log into multiple places. Everything should just be right there. Um, Let's pivot just a bit. If we think about you know, what's ahead, right? Like these are the things you've so far said are must have today. The the CRM, you know, having that core kind of reporting capability. What do you think is next when it comes to potentially disrupting how we think about or how we approach RevOps? Yeah, I, uh, again, maybe an obvious answer, but I, AI is a big one for me. Uh, since I've been here, it seems to have a, a rather large uptick. I've had multiple conversations with businesses that focus on utilizing AI for forecasting. I think forecasting is something that a lot of businesses struggle with because, you know, in, in a SaaS business, you have a lot of deals that might be quick closes. You have a lot of long tail opportunities it can be really hard to predict where you're going to land. And I think there's a space for utilizing AI to track um, conversation intelligence and say, hey, we've seen over time, you know, the more emails you send or the more phone calls you have, it's actually leading to uh, this forecast. So I think we might get to a point where we're trusting AI more than we're trusting individual sales reps or CSMs or somewhere in the middle. Um, I've also thought about this a lot in terms of what else AI could potentially do. Uh, For instance, maybe we get to the point where AI is actually utilizing discovery calls to tell sales reps how to run a demo or what things to touch on based on the pain points that it heard. And we no longer really have to think about note taking or referencing things that we heard in calls. And it's actually making it more efficient and simpler for teams to operate their day-to-day. That's just something I was thinking about the other day. Yeah, and I I do feel like that's like right on the horizon, right? When we first, uh, internally here at OpFocus, when we first started using call recording um, software, it felt like such a release suddenly. I could be so much more present in calls because I knew I didn't have to go and personally take all those detailed notes. I didn't need to be keeping track of those next steps. There would be reminders or they would be able to flag out Uh, what are those next steps at the end of the call? And I feel like that is really what the promise of all these different kinds of AI technology is. It's once it's incorporated into our daily processes and operations, it's meant to free us up humans to be able to do higher level thinking, evaluation, consideration, be more present in the ways that only we can be um, and, and get more creative with the way we work with our customers. Yeah, 100%. I, I think, you know, the the term artificial intelligence may freak some people out. For me, I think embraced correctly, it's a complement to what humans are already doing. It doesn't have to be injected to replace anything. It can be uh, uh, injected to enhance what you're already doing and let teams focus on other things that are more important. So Tyler, one of the fun parts of the podcast for us is actually shifting gears and talking a little bit about 
you, our guest. So you're based in Chicago, Illinois. Yep. You're, uh, you studied at the University of Iowa. You got a degree in communication studies, entrepreneurship, and media production. That's quite a mix. Very cool mix. Your prior uh, position, you were director of revenue operations at Wonderlick. Um, I'm curious with all this, how did you get into SaaS revenue operations? Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, a great question because I I found revenue operations because, again, it's so new to, to have a lot of people who have unique backgrounds. Um, for me, I started my career kind of in uh, production. I thought I was going to move to California and get into concert production, media production, radio, something like that. I kind of pivoted that into early career working for a, a meeting production company, which is where I started really working in project management. I then pivoted to project management at a marketing agency where I spent 10 years growing project management skills, running a project management team, and then pivoting in my last three years there into business operations. When I left that organization, uh, admittedly, I was kind of just burnt out on on agency life and working working in that realm. I was like, you know what? Tech is where it's at moving forward. The product realm is really the way of the future. I want to be in that. How do I get there given my background? That was about three years ago, three and a half years ago. And I think RevOps was still in its infancy enough that I was able to make that pivot from having a biz ops background into revenue operations because it's very similar in project management, implementation, stakeholders, thinking about objectives for the business. And so I, I made a pivot. I found a job at, at Wonderlick and it really was, was great for me. Uh, I did a lot of the same things I'm doing now. And then, you know, about a year ago, in full transparency, I got reached out to by a recruiter and you know, they told me about Muckrack, and although I was, uh, you know, happy in my current job, uh, I am all about opportunities, and I saw this as a, a great one. And honestly, it couldn't have been a better decision. Uh, Muckrack is a phenomenal company. the The things that we're doing here are awesome, and I feel fully empowered to continue driving forth on on what I want to be doing. But Tyler, tell, while while you're talking about Muckrack, why don't you tell us a little bit about what the company does? Yeah, so so Muckrack is really a platform that enables uh, organizations to find the right journalists to pitch, uh, report on media coverage, and prove the value of their work in, in earned media. Uh, the vision for Muckrack as we continue to grow is really around this concept of PRM. Um, it's really building a, a software platform that transforms how organizations engage with media and puts relationships at the heart of PR. Uh, being that I'm in operations, I really equate it to a CRM because that's what it is. Uh, it's about relationship management and, and collaborating with your peers, but for the PR side of the world, which was admittedly a fascinating concept to me because I don't have a PR background. And it's just really awesome to see a product like this be so successful uh, in a place that you haven't experienced before. So I think it's so cool that it's like you've come full circle from uh, studying communication studies, uh, entrepreneurship, you mentioned media production, interest in radio. Now you're on a podcast. Yep. You're working at a company like Muckrack that does such cool things in, in a similar area. That's yeah, great. That's a good way to put it. I, I sometimes, um, 
you know, sometimes it's it's hard looking back or thinking about where you've come and, and you forget about the things that you've done in your past. Um, but I'm just, I'm so thankful to have found something that I enjoy and being able to do things like this. It's just really enjoyable for me. And we want to congratulate you on one year in your role. So that's fantastic. Thank you. Uh, if you could go back to day one, so a year ago, and give yourself <laughs> advice, what what would you say? Uh, yeah, I would say uh, learn to embrace change, ambiguity, and some level of chaos, uh, and then learn to ruthlessly prioritize because that's really what it takes. You're going to have to figure out how to say no in ways that are comfortable for you and people that you're working with day to day um, in order to get the work done. Um, and I would also say, which I've said earlier in the podcast, but not everything is urgent. That is a reminder. I actually wrote that down on a piece of paper one day and just like stapled it to my my desk over here. Um, because I think you can really get run over if all you're trying to do is triage. And while there will always be things that are super urgent that need to be done, if it's for one person or one specific instance, well, to me, most times it can wait at least a little bit while you're working on other stuff. And I think that's really the the crux of it all for me. And I've tried to impart that on my team because I think as people are coming up in RevOps as a function, uh, the same things are happening to them. And so I try to learn from my experience to educate them and, and let them know that, you know, if if, if there's fallout or, or things happen, like, I'll absorb that. That That's on me. What you said earlier about getting run over, if you're always trying to triage, I think um, myself and a lot of RevOps leaders included uh, would really feel that because the when we're good at what we do, all of the requests end up coming our way, right? And it's, it, I remember one of the quotes from uh, one of our f- local Boston area favorite entrepreneurs, uh, Bob Glazer, he likes to do the reframe of, I can do anything, but not everything. <laughs> and I think it's particularly true in this case, we can do several things very well, but if you try to have us do all of this stuff that nobody else will pick up, then there's no way we can do those things well. Yeah, I'm going to write that one down. That's that's uh, a really good quote. Uh, and I think it's extremely true. And what makes people who are good at operations good at operations. If you give me a problem, I will work to all lengths to solve that problem. Um, I just need to know that it's where I should be spending my time. Yeah, love that. In an ideal world, especially given your trajectory already, you've kind of hopped around, seized opportunities when they've appeared, um, answered the call of recruiters and landed in very cool roles. What might be next on your career bucket list? Yeah, so this is another favorite question of mine, Um, mostly because I never really planned to be doing what I'm doing. It just kind of came to be because I've, I've always seized opportunities. I'm not one of those people who... Uh, went to school and came out and was like, I want to be an accountant or I want to be something super specific. Um, I've always wanted to be really good at a lot of things because I think it gives me range and is what makes me good at what I do. My whole brand is about being a Swiss army knife. I think, you know, sometimes you need the magnifying glass and sometimes you need the can opener. 
all of that to say, I, I don't have like a five-year plan, which might be controversial or unique to many people who do. I just kind of look at things at face value and think about what works for me and what a company needs me to do. And if that puts me in a future COO job or CRO job or or something else, ultimately that's okay with me. As long as I continue to do the type of work that I enjoy doing, and as long as I can continue to build, um, you know, I, I'll say high performing teams to execute good work. I'm generally pretty happy about that. I like that. That's um, keeping it focused on the qualities and the experiences that you want. I mean, not necessarily so much on the position or role itself. That's great. No, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not like oh I want this title person or I want this other thing. It's more uh, we all have to work. We should certainly be doing it at a place that we enjoy with people we want to spend time with, doing things that uh, are are impactful and and that we can at the end of the day be happy that we did. Love that. You know you've shared with us throughout this podcast episode, all of these really cool problems you're trying to solve. Leading RevOps, solving these big problems can be pretty intense. What do you do to unwind and kind of get out there and put things in context and live life outside of work? Yeah. So outside of work, uh, when it's not winter in Chicago, uh, I am a diehard tournament bass fisherman. Um, So it's one of those things people are always like, what? And for me, it, it's very strategic. There's weather, there's uh, time of year, there's lure selection, like all these things that you really have to figure out a puzzle for when you're fishing, you know, eight hour tournaments, being out there in uh, on a lake. Um, and for me, it's something that I really enjoy and allows me to utilize my brain in a way that's still thinking about solving, but also enjoying. So I, I spend a lot of my time uh, between about April and November, probably about I don't know, 50 or 60 days a year on the water. What was the biggest catch you've ever gotten? Uh, the biggest bass I've ever caught is uh, about eight pounds. That was uh, in Florida qu- quite a while ago. Um, but uh, that's really what drives us bass fishermen is just continuously trying to beat our personal bests. And were you shocked when you heard the story of the the guys putting the weights inside the fish? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. The, here's the thing, uh, just for some context around that, because I get asked that question a lot. In, in walleye tournaments, you can actually weigh fish in that are not alive. In bass tournaments, we have live wells and they have to be alive. So it's much harder to cheat in a bass tournament than it is in a walleye tournament. No fish would be happy with those weights in their belly. <laughs> no, it's not living. <laughs> All right. Last but not least. We love to ask as a final kind of um, gift to our audience, you know, what are some of those resources you've personally turned to, Tyler, for your own RevOps learning? And are there RevOps pros out there, folks either that uh, have supported you along the way or folks that you follow just for that thought leadership that you think might be worth to uh, invite to have on the podcast here? Yeah, for sure. So I... um... I and a couple of different folks on my team actually got on with uh, Pavilion, which I'm sure most folks are generally familiar with um, relatively early on. I found that to be super helpful. I think I've actually got a class that I'm starting in March around uh, uh, metrics. Like you can never learn enough about metrics. Um, I think what's been interesting to me is I, I spend probably more time than I should just on LinkedIn, not always contributing, but l- learning. 
And I've found some of those really like early adopters of revenue operations like uh, Jordan Henderson or Jeff Ignacio. I'm going to totally butcher people's names here. Um, but there are a lot of people, maybe you know, four or five of them, who have always really uh, talked very highly about revenue operations. So I do try to follow that because it helps me implement things that I might not even be thinking of. It's been weirdly LinkedIn has been a great education, and I never thought that that would be a thing that I would say. Um, in addition to that, I have a really good friend who was an ex coworker at Wonderlic who moved on to be a director of revenue operations at another startup called Rapbook. His name is Jacob Daly. Uh, I would highly recommend having Jacob Daly on your podcast. He is a, a brilliant mind when it comes to creative solutions around Salesforce and just running anything technical that you could ever dream up. Um, that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I, I try to keep it to a small scope because I, I don't want too many opinions. I want to have just the right amount that I can actually form my own. That's really awesome. Well, if they're listening to the podcast, uh, you're officially invited and also will include the LinkedIn profiles of a lot of the folks you just mentioned in the show notes for folks to be able to follow as well. Awesome. So speaking of LinkedIn, Tyler, where can people find you? LinkedIn. I'm a very simple person. Uh, I uh, I think my only real online presence is uh, is on LinkedIn. Um, I would say, you know, if you're going to spend the time to connect or, or follow me, uh, I would also invest in in connecting and following Muckrack. Um, I think that uh, a lot of the questions you would have about the company can be found there. And again, if you have questions for me directly or or if I've said anything you you agree or don't agree with and you'd love to discuss it, uh, always happy to chat. Oh, that's so great. So perhaps our listeners can find you one other place, which would be the next big uh, bass fishing tournament uh, as as well. Yeah, and, I, well, hopefully one day. I mean, that is my retirement plan. Oh, that's great. Uh, and for, for Muckrack, it's muckrack.com is the site? That's correct. Okay, very easy. So Tyler, it's really been a pleasure having you on the podcast with us today. You've shared so many things. I've taken a number of notes, uh, different uh, tips and uh, advice that you gave about relentlessly prioritizing, sharing that not everything is urgent, which I think we all know, but we just need to be reminded of uh, again and again. You talked about your thoughts on AI and where AI could really improve uh, revenue operations. And then you shared a bit about yourself with... Uh, about the bass fishing, which is so cool. It's really been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you both. It's really been my pleasure. I'm, I'm so thankful you invited me on and I would always love to talk about this stuff for anyone who wants to listen. And to those who are listening, thank you for tuning in to the episode today. Um, if you learned something from Tyler today, please share the podcast with a colleague, a friend, uh, and certainly subscribe to help share this RevOps learning broader with that RevOps community. Tyler, thank you again for being on the podcast today. Thank you. And this has been another exciting episode of RevOps Rockstars. See you next time. Stay classy, Rockstars. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much for joining us. For show notes and other episodes, visit RevOpsRockstars.com. RevOps Rockstars is sponsored by OptFocus. Visit opfocus.com to learn more about how OpFocus helps SaaS companies scale their revenue operations.